So, Lord, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished and equipped for every good work. So, Lord, once again, we open up this time to you, asking, Lord, that you would truly speak to us and give us ears to hear what you have to say. We treasure your word as hard as it is sometimes. And, Lord, we pray for understanding, enlightenment, and the conviction, a firm conviction of what is true and to follow it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the fourth warning in the book of Hebrews. There's going to be one more coming up at the end of chapter 12. And this, again, hard words. These are strong words. A lot of debate, and I hope to add a little clarity to that debate. I'm not sure I can convince everybody, and I'm not sure. I am thoroughly convinced, but I am have deep conviction. And I hope to relay those to you as to what I believe this passage is talking about, okay? So again, these two subjects, deliberate sin. I like the translation here. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. And, then the, and that, that's verses 26 through 31. And then there is the endurance in faith unto the preserving of the soul. And uh, that's in the rest of the chapter, 32 through 39. Now, a couple things I want to read here. First, before we get started and going into the details, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 12. I want to read just two verses here. Luke chapter 12, in verse 47 and 48. This is what the Lord says. And I think it parallels very much the scripture we're looking at. It says, and that servant who knew his master's will and made not ready, nor did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Now, that doesn't sound very good to me. Beaten. He doesn't describe it. He doesn't go into any detail, but it says beaten. And then he says this in verse 48. But he who knew not and did the things worthy of stripes he shall be beaten with a few stripes. That's strong words again. And I want to read a little something here out of a commentary I've got. I've gotten a lot of help from this man over many years. His name is G.H. Lang. <clears throat> Listen to what he says. Privilege must be balanced by responsibility. And responsibility undischarged, not discharged, okay, not done, must involve penalty. If you've been given a responsibility and you don't discharge that responsibility, there is, there should be a penalty involved. Grace can be abused to the dishonor of God and the injury of man. And therefore, grace itself imposes penalties upon the abuse of itself. Thus, everything is of grace, including wrath. Because God is love, he warns and chastises, and very severely when necessary, if only so, can the ends of love be served. The passage before us is an instance 
but because its statements are severe, they must be examined with strictness. The statement assumes, these verses assume, that the persons in view can sin in a particular manner and tells them that if they do so, serious consequences will follow. So that's what we want to look at. And we can't just skip around these. A lot of people just kind of glance through them and say they don't apply to Christians. I don't believe that. I think that we're convinced. I'm going to convince you if I haven't already. We haven't already. I think we're going to look at some things tonight that will say this is clearly to those who are believers in Christ. Okay? One other thing I want to mention here before we get into the details. I think it's an important fact with regard to with regard to uh, Hebrews, I need a drink. The Old Testament is either quoted directly or referred to 87 times in Hebrews. 87 times. That's not just the references like it says there's some things in the tabernacle. It doesn't even include that kind of stuff. Very important because to understand the passages, we must understand what the author is looking at. And I believe he's looking at something here in this passage. What he's looking at and what he has as a picture in his mind or perhaps the Bible, the scroll open before him as he writes and pens what, he's, what we read tonight. Okay? All right. Deliberate sin and its consequences. Look at verse, tw verse 26. My translation here says, if we go on sinning deliberately. Others say willfully. It's willful sin we're talking about. Okay? Verse 28, look at verse 28. <coughs> I think this is a parallel passage. It says, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses. We're going to look at that word. These two words together. Deliberate and setting aside. They're, they're crucial to understanding this, okay? So we have to ask a question. We have to address what is deliberate, willful sin? What is that? How is it different from something else? You know, earlier in, in Hebrews, go to, go to chapter 5, verse 2, and you'll see something there. So when he, when he the author is talking about the priesthood, he's addressing the priesthood, and he then applies this to the Lord Jesus. He uses these words here. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. For every priest being taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. That was what the whole Old Testament was about. Uh, it was amazing how many animals were sacrificed. And then it says this, who can bear gently with the ignorant and erring for he himself is also compassed with infirmity. One of the other translations says weakness. So in this, there is these sins that are done because of ignorance and, and erring. Okay? Note that. Go to chapter 9, verse 7. So in this passage here, when it's talking about and referring to the Day of Atonement, that great day when in an all-encompassing, sweeping way, Sins were dealt with for a year, okay? In chapter 9, verse 7. 
It says this, but into the second, that is into the second part of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, it says, okay, into the second place, the high priest alone, once in a year, not without blood, which he offers for himself and for the errors of the people. Some of the translations say sins of ignorance. And when you look at the Old Testament passages about the Day of Atonement, it talks about these sins of ignorance. Now, that's an interesting term. And I think that's a contrast to what we're talking about tonight, deliberate sin versus sins of ignorance. Okay? When we were looking at, and then one other thing here before we get into the details, when we're looking at the chapters 3 through 6 of Hebrews, I think it's clear that the author had in mind, and I tried when I had my little section there in chapter 6 and also in chapter 4, that what he had in mind again was Numbers 13 and 14. So recall, if you can, what happened there in that chapter, Numbers 13 and 14. God had brought through two years in the wilderness the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, to the border of the promised land. He told them, let's go in. Let's, we're ready. We're ready. And they said, wait, 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 wait. How about if we send 12 spies in just to kind of check things out, get a good report. We can kind of get the logistics. All right, that's fine. One from every tribe. Send them in. They were there for 40 days. Came back. Okay. What was the report? Ten said, ain't no way. We're in trouble. Two said, no way, no way. God's here. God's with us. Look what he's done. He's just two years. Look at his deliverance from Egypt. They got so worked up, they were ready to kill Moses, probably Aaron, appoint for themselves a leader, and head back to Egypt. God said, this is the tenth time you have done this. And in his wrath, he swore they would not go in. Now, it's very notable, not a single individual, not a single Israelite returned to Egypt. That's a picture. I just want to, I want to highlight that. So here I believe when we're looking at this passage here, particularly the first few verses, this 26 through 31, the author has in mind Numbers chapter 15. Okay? So I'd like to go there. Let's go to Numbers 15. We're going to start with verse 27. Okay, and I'm not, we're not going to read in detail. We're not going to get into the details here. You can read verses 27 through 36. So in verse 27, it starts off, if one person sing, sins unwittingly, he can do something. He can make atonement, verse 28, for the soul that errs. I believe that that's where they got his words in chapter 5, the erring ones. Okay? And he goes on, one law. I look at verse 30 and 31. This is where I want to take a minute, read these, read these verses and highlight some things. But the soul that, and this is an authorized American standard, it's an American standard version, so it's got a little bit of 
quaint English with it. Bear with me. The soul that does aught with a high hand, whether he's homeborn or a sojourner, the same blasphemes Jehovah. And that soul shall be cut off from his people because he has despised the word of Jehovah and has broken his commandment, that soul shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. Here's a person that's doing something high-handed. They know what they're doing. And they're doing it knowing that God has not said not to do that. And that by that doing so, they are blaspheming Jehovah and they are despising his word. The next thing that happens is that there's a man that goes out. They find a man out there in the wilderness picking up sticks for a fire on Sunday, on the Sabbath. And they take him, bring him into the camp, not quite sure what to do with him, so they quarantine him, I'll say it that way. They put him aside. And they, and they ask, Moses asked Jehovah, what should we do? And Jehovah says this. And Jehovah said to Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him to death with stones. As Jehovah commanded Moses. Now I, wanna, I want you to think about this for a minute. How serious is a crime of picking up sticks for a fire on Sunday? I mean, really, come on, now think about it. Is that a serious crime? So there has to be something more than just the action that is the serious thing. What's involved with the intent? What's involved here? And I think that you can't understand this incident if you don't understand particularly verses 30 and 31. That there is something deliberate, willful, intended going on. It's high-minded, blasphemous, and despising. The issue is not the act performed. It is the intended, deliberate, and willful sin done. Listen, after having the knowledge of what God has commanded. That's, the, that's one of the issues. There's got to be some knowledge. For something to be deliberate and willful, it, there has to be some understanding. I want to read something here again from Lang. Before we do, go back, look at, look at chapter 10 of Hebrews again. And look at the verses here. And I, I want to look at 28 and 29 particularly. It says, anyone, verse 28, who has set aside the law of Moses. Now, the Lord told them they're not to do any work on Sunday, on the Sabbath. They are to not do anything. And sticks was, picking up sticks was particularly mentioned in Exodus. Okay, so there's the knowledge there. If anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Strong words. 
but I would compare them with what we just read in, in Numbers chapter 15, verses 30 and 31. They're very similar. Here's, does it with a high hand, blasphemes Jehovah, and despises the word of, of Jehovah. So let me read here what Lang says, and I thought it was excellent. I thought it was very descriptive. The sin, therefore, is deliberate, determined, committed with full intention. Thus, it is by no means a case of sudden temptation. We're all afflicted with sudden temptation. Anyone here didn't have a temptation today? You know, we might see a hand or two, but most of us, we were tempted. Right? But it's not talking about that. Causing an unintended fall. And listen to this. It's not even succumbing to a, to a vicious habit. I can remember, especially in my, the beginning of my Christian life, I had some habits. They were terrible. I did not want to do them. I wanted to stop, to them, stop them, but I would find myself doing that. And, and after I committed it, I remember one, it was immorality. And I remember apologizing to my girlfriend, weeping and crying. I, I couldn't believe I did that, but I did it. I did it. I didn't want to. That wasn't intended. It wasn't planned. Some vicious habit which one loathes and fights even unavailingly. It is continuous, maintained. It is shown in the present participle. It's, it's an ongoing thing. That's what it means. It is willfully maintaining a decision made against light. And the reason we can say that, it says this, after you have, you have received the knowledge of the truth. That word there is actually a word epinosis. It doesn't mean just facts and data. It means a grasp, understanding what was what's been said, what's been spoken, what's been written. This decision was made after receiving and enjoying this experimental knowledge of the truth. It is comparable to the sin of setting aside the law of Moses in verse 28. The word there, setting aside, has been translated throughout the Scripture a lot of different places to reject, to treat as void, to set aside as useless, to spurn. Okay, to displace one thing and replace it by another or dismiss a matter entirely and treat it as not existing. So here's this man out there in numbers going out deliberately picking up sticks when he knows he's been told not to. It's the Sabbath. He does it deliberately. And when they bring him in, there was probably a note of defiance. What's the big deal? Right? What's the big deal? The big deal is God said it. That's a really big deal. Here's what was happening with, the, with these Hebrew believers. They were seriously considering returning to a God-given system of priests, offerings, temples, all the temple stuff, all that stuff, returning to shadow instead of substance. 
right? It's been said a number of times. Those things were just pictures. They were shadows. They were, they were not intended to last forever. And now they are going back knowingly. These things could not take away sins. They could not perfect. They could not bring us to a place of inheritance. They couldn't do that. And the Hebrew believers had received the full knowledge of the truth. They had been enlightened. And they were about to intentionally, deliberately, willfully sin in returning to a dying system and, and thus trampling underfoot the Son of God. They were making the, His blood as common as bulls and goats. The Son of God. Let me apply it a little bit to our day. And I don't want to get too... I, I, I got to be careful. I get stirred up on this. Brothers and sisters, I really believe we are going to enter into a very tough time. I believe we are doing that. That's happening. If God wants to turn it around, that's his business. I, in fact, for the sake of the elect, he may do that. I don't know. But I believe that we are turning the the door we are turning the corner and at some point there will be no return and we'll enter into what is the last days there's growing pressure on the churches here in the United States of Christians real Christians growing pressures to leave the the revealed revelation the faith once delivered once for all delivered to the saints you know we know about the general apostasy and that's been going on for years. People have been walking away from the truth, but we're talking about a much more concentrated effort. And those of us in this room, I can look at all of you guys eye to eye, we have received the knowledge of the truth. The Word of God is preached from up here and all these places in here. And we're, we're still receiving. There's many Christians that are receiving good, solid understanding of the word of god but these pressures just like them and you we're going to read those those verses 32 34 the pressure on them was pretty tremendous okay and to try to push them back and uh listen what it says in hebrews 6 4 and 5 these are the words describing them and us we have tasted the heavenly gift. Have you tasted the heavenly gift? I have. We've partaken of the Holy Spirit. We've tasted the goodness of the Word of God. We've tasted the powers of the age to come. We have a foretaste of what is coming. So if someone having tasted those things and, and enjoyed those things, and walked in those things to turn back to a system that is shadow. And I'm sorry if I'm stepping on anyone's toes. I'm not inten intentionally doing that to you. But the Roman Catholic system is a failed system. It's a harlot. And, and if you've come out of that, and if you have been hearing these things about the finished work of Christ and, and the 
justification by faith that we have and all the goodness and everything that we have in the Lord and to go back to that, bad thing. So look at verse 29 of Hebrews. He starts off this verse. He says, he asked, the, he asked these believers a question that he does not answer. It's like he's looking at Yvonne, and he says, Yvonne, how much worse punishment do you think they would deserve? And gets them to think about this. What they are doing, he, he annotates it, tramples underfoot the Son of God, profanes the blood of the covenant, all these things, they're mentioned there. And the, the author does not define what this worst punishment is. But it is worse. Think about that man that was stoned. We don't need it to be defined for us. We have living examples of it. I can think of Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5 of Acts. For, for holding, withholding information intentionally, willfully, and deliberately, what happened to them? They died. They died. But I want to go on to verse 32. The first word of verse 32. But. I love these little words that these authors, by the inspiration of the Spirit, put these little words in there to interrupt and to bring us back on target. But. But recall the former days when you were enlightened. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, public exposed to reproach, affliction, uh, compassion on those in prison, accepted the plundering of of your goods, your property. Okay, they knew this. They, They went through that. So now we're into the preservation of the soul and there's this strong exhortation somebody asks us what's the difference between encouragement and exhortation this is an exhortation this is strong words but it's still an exhortation in a a very positive manner he says recall think about remember think back what you went through was it worth it is those th- are those things that are coming worth it? They are exhorted to recall what they had been through because they were enlightened. They were about to throw away their confidence and their boldness. Listen, throughout this whole section, I think this is critical. I think one of the things that makes us very vulnerable to the pressures that are happening and will be happening in increasing measure, one of the things that will steal us against that and protect us is a understanding of what is coming. At the end of Paul's section, verse 25, it says, the day, exhort one another all the more as you what? See the day drawing near. What day? The day of the Lord. The day of the kingdom of God. The day of the return of the Savior. Of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah. Says he'll punish all the bad, he'll reward the good, and he'll establish a kingdom forever. Who doesn't want that? There's, a, there's all these things, listen to them, in this section here. A better and abiding possession. 
There's that one song, hymn, great song. Let kins, it's by, written by Martin Luther. Let kin, and, and what does he say? I, I just fought. It's let, let these substances, mortal substances, go. What is that? Martin Luther was threatened with death time and time again. Let kins and, and, and these things, these mortal things, go. We have a better and abiding possession. We have great reward. We're going to see in the next chapter. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. Rewards are not bad. Fact is, everybody will be rewarded, good or bad. We're going to look at that in a minute. And I believe that the sum of all that stuff is the realization of the preservation of the soul. We'll get to that in a second. So here's the final, and then in the next verses, 37, 38, for yet a little while, the Greek is very strong, yet a very, very little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But listen, it's a quote, it's a combined quote out of Isaiah 26 and Habakkuk chapter 2, where it says, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39. But the author is convinced again and again. He says this a number of times in Hebrews. But I'm convinced. But we, he's including himself, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. I want to look at these two words here. The word destroyed. Seems like a strong word, right? I think some translations may have this, that awesome word we all tremble at, should, we should, perdition. Okay? But listen to me. This word is translated destruction, waste, perishes, and damnable. The root thought, and I was looking at Vine here again today. I have a little quote by him. I didn't have it in my notebook there. Go to Mark 4. 14.4, if you would. Go to Mark 14.4. Mark 14.4. This is where that woman came with that precious alabaster flask full of very expensive perfume and ointment, and she broke it. You can't repair it. It's not, you know, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a little cap on it. She can put the cap back on, use a little preserve it once the lid is broken once that neck is broken she has to use the whole thing she used it and listen to what remember what the disciples said and there were some who had indignation among themselves <coughs> saying to what purpose was this waste of the ointment that's the same word and i believe that in this last verse because of the, also the word preserve or gain or obtain, that the word here should be waste. Verse, uh, the rest of the verse, but, but we are those who have faith and preserve our souls. It's a very interesting word. It's translated purchased, possessed, obtained, and acquired. The, the root word, the root of it is clearly the matter of obtaining at cost. 
Go with me, if you will, to Matthew 16. I think we've all read these verses before. There's a number of parallel verses akin to this one. Matthew 16, verse 24. I'm going to read it again out of the... Okay, I'll read it out of this version here. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, and that word life there is soul, suke in the Greek. It does mean more than just a, that third element in us. It's not a separable thing. It means the whole of who you are and everything of your life. So it means your life here. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life shall lose it, and whoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what shall a man be profited if he should gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Look at all the words he's using. Gain, forfeit, lose. And then he gives the context of when this all will be realized. It's important because what is sprinkled throughout Hebrews, and we've already looked at it a little bit in this last chapter, this 10, is that there's this day coming, and there's things that are going to be wrapped up, consummated, finished. We, earlier in the, in the reviews here, we're looking at the verses, teleos, completed. Brought to an end. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will render to every man according to his deeds. Throughout the scripture, it's absolutely clear, undeniable. Every person will be rewarded according to their works. The reward, but listen to me, grace and salvation are not reward, right? So let me kind of wrap this up and put, put some thoughts in your head. And I know this is a lot to go through in one night. So I had to write this down as concisely as I possibly could. I am firmly convinced that the believer's destiny is eternally secured by the finished work of the cross and the birth from above. That is what I believe. I believe there's overwhelming verses that say that so this can't be a contradiction to that and it's not talking about that you didn't receive the benefit of the cross by works and you can't lose it by works either Is that clear you didn't get it by works you can't lose it by works but that opening statement from the commentary, big but. But that does not relieve us from our responsibilities, our accountability, or the fact that we are going to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes, and we will be rewarded, whether good or bad, in this life, either in this life, or I believe strongly, and we could spend a lot of time looking at it, with the effects reaching into the next age into that kingdom to come. 
Here's what I believe is this persever- the preservation, the gaining, the obtaining of your soul. Here's what I believe it is all about. It is to come to the fullest capacity of what God wants each one of us to be. We're according to the design that he did with Adam as an image bearer and a ruler. We were brought into existence by the sovereignty of God at the very time none of us had any vote on the time we were born, what parents we were born to, and the early circumstances in our lives. None of us. Nada. Zero. And either you believe God is sovereign or you don't. I believe he is sovereign. I believe we were foreknown even before we came out of our mother's womb, just like Paul. He is also sovereign in what he's bringing us through daily and trials, tribulations, all these kind of things. That's, that, is, that is the context of life, good and bad. Oh, I have a lovely song. Day by day with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part in pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. That's him. He's sovereign. And then he's got the good works that he planned beforehand that we should walk in them. To the intent, like this, ver- this book is talking about, he wants to bring many sons to glory. He wants to raise up co-heirs with his son. Guess what? The son of God... Who, are, who is our brother from chapter 2, right? He, he is the heir of the universe. He wants, needs, I would say, according to his purpose and plan, co-heirs. Any volunteers? That's what it's all about, okay? More than anything else, my prayer has been, Lord, I want to hear Two words, well done. The well done will mean the preservation of the soul. And that I will enter in, in some capacity, everything that he has foreordained for me and brought me to. Conforming me to the image of his son as an heir in his kingdom to live in that thing forever. So that brings us to chapters 11 and 12. That Now we're going to look. Having brought us up to that point, he's going to talk about these ones that have gone before us who enduring in faith preserve their souls under that inheritance. And then he goes into chapter 12 and talks about let us run with the what's the word there? Endurance, the race that is set before us. Let's pray. Father, sometimes um, teaching these things, talking about these things, I feel so short. But Lord, I am going to trust you. I'm going to trust your spirit that he's going to bring these these things home to heart and mind and give us enlightenment so that we can walk in these things. We can be well-pleasing to you. So Lord, I pray for each one of us here. Lord, uh, May you have your way with us. 
And at the end, when we stand before you, I pray this for every single one of us. We hear, well done. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.